Hello and welcome to Cinema Buns. I'm Ritter. I'm Mike. And I'm Kevin. And uh, t- and we've got another special guest today. If you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and yes. uh, tell us what you're representing. Yeah, my name's uh, Alistair Evans. I'm the director and producer of a documentary feature called A Crack in the Mountain, which is screening at the Phoenix Film Festival this week. Yeah, and uh, yeah, amazing so, movie. Yeah, so this documentary uh, is about the um, Sandung. Um, you got cave. it. <laughs> uh, or, uh, and its impact on uh, the town. Fongnya. That's it. <laughs> there you are. You, you, you had it there. at the tip of your tongue. I was just, just, just beat, beating you to it. Fongnya, <laughs> yeah. Kevin is dying. <laughs> As I'm losing confidence in pronouncing these Vietnamese words. Um, and just like... Uh, the political uh, battle between uh, turning discover- this discovery into uh, a commercial thing or you uh, keeping it um, somewhat uh, secluded so that it can maintain its like natural beauty. Mm. Um, so there's a number of characters in this movie, uh, uh, activists, um, local businessmen, both from abroad and uh, local Vietnamese uh, like tourism business people. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, that's pretty much it. But like, so I'm I'm curious, what, how did this subject come to you, and what made this something that you became motivated enough to make a documentary on? Yeah, I mean, just before I answer that, I, I think it's important for your audience to understand that this is not really a cave. So when we think of, I mean, it is a cave, but when we think about caves, people often roll their eyes and go, yeah. oh, dark, boring, uh-huh, uninteresting, yeah, yeah. you know, dirty, not an inhospitable place. As you guys have seen, it's, it's so much more than that. I mean, oh, it, it no. really is yeah. an oh, underground yeah. kingdom, um, you know, but for, for those who haven't seen the pictures, it has a jungle, it has two jungles, it has a, has a lake waterfall, it's 10 kilometers long. I mean, it, it, it can it, fit a city block in most sections of this quote unquote cave. Yeah, so. yeah I mean, yeah. It, it really is Avatar in real life, shall we say, or journey to the center of the earth. So I yeah, mean, exactly. it, it, it is the most extraordinary place I've ever been to. And I've been very lucky to travel quite extensively. I mean, it really is extraordinary. But to answer your question, I, I first went there in 2017. So I was working on a defunct travel magazine, sadly no more. And a, a researcher <laughs> put this, this thing across my desk and I looked at the pictures and I looked very interesting. And then I took a closer look and it looked extremely interesting. So I went on a trip uh, in t- uh, March 2017. And the idea really was at that time just to make a small, innocent 30-minute YouTube documentary. Right. And uh-huh. then, I don't know, I think I might have spent five years <laughs> subconsciously finding reasons to go back to the cave again and again and again. Um, and it ended up with a, a feature-length doc. So that, that's kind of how, how things went. How? No, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Okay. No, I was like, uh, when I was watching the movie, like the cinematography for like the shots you were able to get about this cave were immaculate like i couldn't believe like this was a cave because i don't really know that much about caves uh if i'm gonna be honest uh like you said i I had that kind of idea of what a cave was and then i saw the movie and i was like oh my gosh this is way more than just a cave uh some of the shots i was wowed by like i didn't even know like shots like like uh things like that could exist um so that was really breathtaking it was it was something that made me want to actually go see it one day in my life and uh, I think there's also like a lot of the cinematography and editing uh, and special effects were also fantastic in kind of illustrating just how massive and uh, how much of like this much was like another world mm-hmm. whenever you go in like those sweeping like um, special effects camera shots that go into the cave through a crack out um, into another part of the cave and it's just like every, you could pause at like any point in the movie, and it just is a post. And you and you just get a new computer screensaver. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, and I'm curious, like obviously, it's not like you're bringing a full camera crew with full equipment into a cave to do a hike and stuff like well, that. I mean, or were oh, you able really? to? Well, I mean, I, I mean, I was shooting largely alone. I mean, I should say that I shot 94 point 
one percent of the film. I, I know that because of licensing reasons. And right, okay. uh, uh, sort of one percent is archive, and then five minutes was shot by uh, another cinematographer called Ryan DeBoot. Uh, so he, I mean, usually you know for five minutes you'd sort of bury them deep in the licensing thingy, thingy, whatever. But his his footage is so important. A lot of the drone stuff in the cave is his because okay. I tried and failed to fly a drone. <laughs> um, it's, there's no GPS and it's very dark. And I actually, for the first four years, they wouldn't even let me fly a drone anyway. So um, yeah, I mean the um, the, 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 the in, in terms of the, the equipment, I mean, what I would do each trip is essentially take a, a different set of lenses, a different camera, and, and, a, and achieve, achieve an objective with that particular um, setup, shall we say. And then the next year, I'd go back and I'd try and achieve something else. So, you know, for, for example, one year I didn't take a telephoto lens, so I was just purely right. focusing on the wides. And I, I did have, I mean, th there is an entire porter team who go in there, and I did have an assistant with me carrying an extra uh -huh. bag. So it really was sort of two bags, which were quite heavy, and we were exhausted at the end of the day. But, oh, but overall, it. over the over the five years and eight trips, the, a lot of equipment was took, taken in. Wow. Mm. So uh, how long would you stay every time you made that trip? Like... So it was. It changed over the years because because I was on a on tourist trips. So it really was the first time I went. We didn't actually go up the Great Wall of Vietnam. So we would go into the cave and we wouldn't actually go out the exit. We then go all the way back the other way. So it was an extra night. So that I think that was four nights, five days. But the the other trips from 2018 were three nights, four days, with one night in Hang En Cave, which you saw saw in the film. Right. So oh, you, okay. essentially, you, you walk from Phong Nha to Hang En, spend a night in Hang En, and then um, walk into Songdong, spend a night at Camp 1, then walk to Camp 2, night at Camp 2, and then get out, basically. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how did uh, editing go for, like, uh, putting this movie together? Uh, did you work with another editor, or was it just all you putting, like, uh, basically splicing all this together? No, the, 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 the editing is 100% me, and it, it took that was it took a very long time. Yeah, I um, believe it. Yeah, the, 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 I mean, yeah, it was difficult shooting in the cave, you know, on four hours sleep, dancing from rock to rock, trying right. not to die while you try and get a shot, and also, you know, all of that stuff. But really, that, that didn't that paled in com into comparison when it came to actually structuring the thing. Because uh, as you see, there's, there's a lot covered in the film, and I was trying to to, to communicate the complexities in a way people un understood without dumbing anything down and without denigrating anything, and trying to get all of this stuff in—the the caving, the politics, the you know, the town, the discovery—all of it into. Hopefully, less than two hours. So it took a very long time. It took years to it to edit. <laughs> oh, I believe it. I I think something I really appreciated in this movie is the care you took to present both sides of this like debate in a respectful manner, to where they both have valid points to like, like the I can't remember her name. She was the activist. Oh. That was yeah, yeah. She she was like, I came from a privileged background. Who am I to tell this impoverished village they can't make money off something by them when I'm living fine and mm. stuff? So how, what was it like trying to balance those two in your film? Because, I mean, I, I, I don't know how you leaned one way or another, but how, how was it trying to balance these interviews and everything in a way that you could properly present this info? Well, I mean, you're absolutely right. The balance was ex extremely important to me. M number one, because... Vietnam is not a free country. Yeah. So, you know, and uh, if if I was just to tell one side, which inevitably would be the sustainability side, there is a real risk of reprisals for those people. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the the, the 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 film briefly touches on how activists, active, activists are treated in the country. Yes. And that barely scratches the surface. And I, I had to be very careful about about what I said and, and, and who said it and mm -hmm. all, all of that stuff because otherwise the, the, the people are, are at real risk. So th that was sort of a, a first thing and there's, there's elements in the film where Hung clearly states this is not a political campaign yeah. and I had, to, I had to actually get her to say that. We, we, that was probably the only sort of, not even scripted, but moment mm. I said, look, you've got to state this explicitly because it's, it's so important because you know, they're yeah. not going to come back at me, they're going to come back at you. Right. So the balance was, was really important. But w when it came to finding that, I mean, I just, I spoke with a lot of people um, I mean, the, the, those people you see in the film who were interviewed, they're, they're sort of just a fraction of who, who I actually interviewed. Um, so it was really just a question of trying to, to work out, to, to read, the, read the room, shall we say, in Fong Ya, and then try and, try and present that in an entertaining and compelling, but also, you know, um, not too distilled manner, shall we say. I mean, right. it was, when I found Malty, David English, who's the Australian, who is, I find very compelling on camera, I, uh -huh. I, I realized that, yeah, I kind of... I, I had, that, that was when I realized I was starting to get it because up until that point, I'd, you know, a lot of people you interview, it's, it, 
people don't talk about casting when it comes to documentaries, but casting is so important. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you just end up with a you know, piece of people rambling. So uh-huh. yeah. when I found Multi, I realized I was onto something, and then Hi came along and, and other people. But they are just a fraction of the people I interviewed. So, I mean, kind of circling back to Vietnam not really being a free country, what did you experience while making this film there? Did you, because I know in some communist countries, they assign government assistance to follow you around everywhere and make sure you do what they want you to do mm-hmm. did was that what you experienced what other hurdles because there's even one shot in the film where uh Hyung's, one of her uh associates gets stopped by a yeah. quote-unquote undercover cop yeah and it's like either leave or i'll arrest you so that was i was that, that i mean just starting at that shot and i'll answer your question in a second but that was shot in 2018 and at the, in, in August, and I was very naive at that time about things. So what you see in the film, the, the way that that shot is constructed, is the sort of the, the action is rising, 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 and then the, then the rug just gets pulled. And it, it's the sound design complements that. And that really was my experience because I was I wanted to. The idea was to go around Fongya, sorry, go around Ho Chi Minh with with the activists and mm-hmm. shoot time lapses with all over the city with sort of roads, you know, cars going yeah. past, etc., etc. And Hung and her friends were kind of game for it, but they were like, mm, "Are you sure?" And I was like, "Yeah, it'd be really cool." All of the, all of this uh-huh. stuff. So we started off at this very innocuous street. It's, it's not even in the center. It's just next to my hotel. Right. And, we, and I said, well, just go for five minutes. And within five minutes, that dude showed up. You know, and it really, really knocked the... I was quite shocked in a very naive way. So that was really my introduction. And I tried, tried to communicate that, that rug-pulling effect in the film. But to answer your question, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you are to make a film, a sanctioned film, shall we say, in Vietnam, uh, yes, you require a chaperone uh, mm. and all of that stuff. And the, the film would never ever have been made um, in its current form and it probably wouldn't have been made full stop. So, I mean, I, I didn't get a shadow. This is not a not a sanctioned film, shall we say. Um, so does that mean it will not show in Vietnam at all? Um, well, I mean, there's talks that... Uh, it, it, there's early, very early talks that we might get some screenings in, in embassies. Um, mm, but in order for it to be shown in Vietnam, it has to get past the censor. I mean, right, v- no. Vietnam is... is uh, China light, shall we say? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 not not as extreme as China in terms of the degree of censorship, but it's on along the same lines. So, and any any dissent whatsoever, you know, will be squashed, whether whether it be on the streets or on the screen. So, I suspect it probably won't be shown in Vietnam. I, I certainly won't be cutting it because at the end of the day, I'm only the only thing I'm guilty of is committing an act of journalism. Yeah. Um. So, and I'm not really going to apologise for that. And so. that's fair. Oh, so, did you have to worry about anything when you were? going through all this or was were you just filming these incidents well i was i mean i i was quite careful up until the the final trip when i realized i had everything and i became a little bit more um courageous a shall we more say. yeah yeah i mean i i did end up writing to the local quambing ppc and asked for their comments because again in the degree of balance i really wanted to get an official uh, right. on on mm-hmm. camera to be honest i mean they didn't really understand what what was what was going on to be honest they didn't they, they i don't think they even really understood what the project was so but at least i gave them right of reply um i mean no, no i didn't find i i mean i i, I essentially was just a, another white foreigner in the country with a camera so yeah. you know and i was quite careful about what i did and where i went and and i should be clear that the um, going into Songdong, I, I was—I I, I never hid my intentions when it came to Songdong. I was very clear with Oxalis throughout the process of what I was doing. I mean, it really did start as an innocent YouTube film, and then when I came out the second year, I was going to make this 40-minute triptych describing sort of the uh, the the uh, the cavers experience, the guest experience, and then uh, a porter's experience. The, what, the activism angle wasn't even in at that mm. time, and mm-hmm. then it was only really in 2019 when I found the story of the town, I realized this was a bigger story, and I, I, every stage I communicated exactly what I was doing, so I don't really feel as I, I hid anything from them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, did they... Uh, it, there are a lot of just like intimate moments caught on film um, in this movie, and one of them were... Uh, some of uh, the people talking about what they should do for the future of the village, you know, sacrifice their generation so that our future gener- generation can mm-hmm. live. Um, when you were uh, capturing all that, uh, were they just like kind of not paying attention to you or did they kind of just trust that you were there to get their message or um, how much did they like kind of just trust you and like uh, what did they like let you show? Otherwise, did they kind of just hide a lot of things from you? Mm. I mean, there's there's a lot to go in there because I mean, I suppose the first thing to say is that I mean, over the it was a 
an immense privilege to be able to shoot the porters. I mean, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll address that scene in a second because that's such an important scene in the film. But, you know, I, I was getting up at three or four o'clock in the morning and it was just me and a dude um, cutting up carrots. You know, everyone mm -hmm. else was asleep and I was just, camera was right in his face two inches away. And, you know, it was, a, it was like a, a really intimate, delicate dance. It was beautiful. And I, I, it, those, are, those are sort of my most precious moments, spending time with them. But, you know, over the course of year, uh, many years, I kept on coming back again and again and again. And it... They, yeah, there was a degree of trust built, certainly with Tun, who is the sort of the featured porter. I spent a lot of lot of time with him, and uh, in the beginning, because they're so un unused to being filmed, they, they just find it quite comical. But uh -huh. I, I just basically had to say to them, "Look, just can you just ignore me and pretend I'm not here?" And they're, they're quite good at taking instructions, shall we say? So you know, it, <laughs> yeah. they, they, once they heard that, they were like, "Yep, fine." And yeah, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time just sitting in the backs of people's houses, filming without an interpreter, trying to guess who was saying the most interesting thing. And then I get the transcript about sort of a month or two later, and then I realize if it was rubbish or not, basically. Uh -huh. They um, were asking, hey, did you get the carrots from the <laughs> yeah. farmer's market? No, nah, I only got onions. Hey, can you go back and get the carrots tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. I hear you thought that was really raging political. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they, 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 they do get quite animated about things which are quite quite innocuous. You know? I think it's part of the language, too, because it's very melodious, and mm. um, they... Uh, can yeah, there's like a lot of volume in like the way that the Vietnamese uh, mm. speak. So, uh, but just yeah. to, just to go back to that scene, I mean, when, when I uh, my my interp my translator almost skipped that scene. She said it was because I it was so much stuff and it got quite expensive translating <laughs> all this stuff. So I just said, look, just pricey stuff. And then she skipped all of that. And I was like, are you sure? And then it turned out to be this great battle of of. Uh, between sort of the two sides of what we're going to do with the town, and mm -hmm. and and to answer to answer your question about how, how much they trusted me, a lot from that two-hour conversation, a lot's been cut, which would incriminate them massively because mm, they, uh. they, they when when they're in their own house, they're quite quite willing to speak about things which I can't even say on mic to be honest, just yeah. just just in case. Yeah, but totally. you know, I, I, and I had all of that, and I was like, I can't can't include this because you know, even though they sign releases and all of that stuff, I just just can't can't do it. So you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you didn't want to like feel like you were taking advantage of them. Well, not just that. I mean, they they would almost certainly lose their jobs for one, ah, and okay. and two, it could be that they could easily be quite serious reprisals from um, bad actors in the town. So yeah. you know, it's just so. Uh, I mean, you also show that like the town has been hit hard from COVID and <laughs> all the restrictions on tourism and whatnot. So how? How how did the because I mean you kind of went into like their discussion on it but how did you ever present them the other side of the argument from Hyung and like saving the natural beauty of the cave did they were you did you show them that side of it at all and have them kind of comment on that or did or did they just set on like we we need tourism well it's it's. So I mean I'm I'm making a film, so yeah. I, I need to I, I need to present things in a way which is understood by the audience. I mean, and I, I did my best not to dumb down the complexity of things, yeah. but the, they they are conflicted, shall we say? And yeah. and it, right. it, there were many times when I interviewed Tun, for example, and he'd say one thing one day and one thing the next. So you know that they uh, uh, there is a strong will to protect the the natural environment within within the town. Not, not everyone shares that, uh, and uh, as you saw it in that discussion. Yeah. Um, but th there is a strong will to, to protect the nature because th th there is a consciousness that, you know, th th if, if, if you just milk the cow for as much as you can, it, it, it's a very limited, limited supply, yeah. shall we say. You know, so there is an awareness of that. But, but when, when the knife is twisted and, you know, and yeah, 95 95% of businesses get shut down I mean when you don't yeah. really have a have a choice and I should say that that I, I wasn't filmmakers at this time are trying to work out whether you make a COVID film or not is it too soon I, I thought it? about that but there's no way I couldn't include it because it really it really has reset the town yeah. and it's, it's such a pivotal moment in their evolution I couldn't couldn't not include it um, and it's got a lot I filmed that in February 2021 and it got a lot worse since then a lot worse really a, really? a lot of a lot of the people in the film have left never to come back I mean the, the tourism in Vietnam is only just opens um, five days ago so international oh, travel wow. is only just only just resumed so you know yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, when I was watching the the film uh, I thought it was really interesting how you uh, brought in how like this town was like uh, it, it, the lives were improving because of the tourism, um, but uh, you brought in some other people to talk about the dangers of having too much tourism, and then like uh, 
smash uh, cut to COVID and then yeah, like and then just smash cut streets. to COVID and I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> they are hurting now mm. terribly. Mm. Yeah, it's it's very unfortunate, and you know, kind of going back to focus on you a little bit, what. What kind of experience did you have in filmmaking in general before you just uh, took on this project? What what was your experience so far? Because, not going to lie, I stalked you a little bit. I tried to find out some info online, and uh, I, I couldn't find too much. So, just out of curiosity, what did you do before you... Yeah, there isn't a lot, this? because, I mean, th- there really isn't a lot to, to, to find. This is this is my first first feature film, shall we say. Um, made a made a short film a long time ago. Um, worked in TV and film in, in casting and theatre as well in London for a couple of years. Um, but I, I realised very quickly that I could never become a jobbing filmmaker because I'm, I'm very uncompromising. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I realised the, the only thing I really wanted to do was work on my own projects and I wasn't interested in really working on anyone else's work, shall we say. So, so I, I've spent the best part of 10 years positioning myself in a way that I'm able to do that without compromise mm-hmm. from a financial perspective, from a, you know, just from a, a, a living perspective. So I'm, I'm now in that position and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping this is just the start of things. Well, that's good. Uh, so, I mean, we've got your movie here at the Phoenix Film Festival. Where are we on your, like, festival track? Mm-hmm. Are we, like, at the beginning and you've got a bunch of other festivals booked? Or, like, what... Where's the future of this on the festival track? So it's very much early days. It, it, it premiered, world premiere, actually down the road, well, two hours down the road, in, in Sedona in, um, in February. So, uh, oh, really? Yeah, so it, and it was fortunate enough to win the Best International Documentary Film there, which I was quite pleased about. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, congratulations. Um, and it was, it, 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 I've been up in Sonoma, which is the second physical screening. This is, this is the third physical screening of wow. the film. Oh, okay. there's, there's actually been, it's been streaming online at Omaha Film Festival and also Malibu as well, which were both meant to be physical events because of COVID, they, they went online. And, yeah, it, right. and it's, it's just started at CineQuest um, in San Jose, which is, uh, again, online for the moment. And then it's going elsewhere after this. So dates keep on being added. So how busy is your travel schedule right now? Yeah, pr- pretty busy. <laughs> um, um, I, have, I have a, after this, I think I have maybe a, a week off in LA. And then I think I'm probably going to ca- South Carolina then Kansas City, then back to LA and shooting up to San, San Luis Obisco, oh. Riverside, um, and then yeah, other dates as well. Um, shooting into Canada, Germany. So I'm not sure I'm going to go to all of them. Uh, I think if if this wasn't my first film, I wouldn't be so so keen <laughs> to go to random places. But yeah, you know, but it's fun. It's like yeah, yeah. let's go. It's, yeah, it's, it's probably the yeah. like the best part of the filmmaking process, not the mi- filmmaking itself. It's actually the traveling afterwards. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. I think this is for. I'm enjoying it, but I think the, uh, the filming <laughs> process is, is a very special I'm, experience. For I, I'm yeah. pretty sure uh, Song Gong was a lot better than uh, Gilbert, Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I've, I'm enjoying Arizona. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, but both Sedona and Phoenix have welcomed the film. You know, Arizona people seem seem to be appreciating it. So you know, yeah, and yeah. Uh, there's a lot of uh, um, nature, uh, like picturesque nature, around in Arizona. That's um, a lot of us like kind of just take pride in like everyone knows the Grand Canyon, but beyond that, uh, there are lush greens and uh, blues just like beyond the desert in Arizona, and like that the, the uh, other parts of the world like don't get to see that. Um, so uh, I, we do have kind of like a soft spot for nature documentaries and like just um, secrets of. Uh, local secrets being uncovered and being shown to the world. And Sedona was a great place to have that first. Uh... It's, it's, I, I, I was just about to say, I mean, if I, you know, filmmakers get rejected from top tier festivals and we're a bit disappointed. And, you know, and, and Sedona is a great festival. Um, but, you know, World Premier Sedona, I was like, yeah, OK. But having been there and having had the experience, it really couldn't have been a better place for, for a number of reasons. First off, I discovered while I was there, the story of Sedona is is very much akin to in the, sorry the story in the 60s of Sedona how it evolved is very much akin to what's happening in Fongya right now mm-hmm. and a lot of people mm-hmm. told me that and it really res that parallel really resonated mm-hmm. um, so and you know both shows sold out you know even before the festival began so I, I, I just I think the people of, of Sedona really resonated with the film and you know I'm just tremendously grateful to have that opportunity to screen there because it's also a beautiful place while I was there it snowed yeah. you know the red rock in the snow is <laughs> yes. just stunning yes. 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 really yes. stunning Sedona yeah. has taken a lot of pride and a lot of action to preserve its natural Mm. beauty i think they're also a uh no light emission town 
basically like at a certain time their city lights it are shuts supposed down to very turn. early yeah, i try to yeah. get dinner at 10 <laughs> and like nope yeah they're they're like mm. at a certain time all lights outside of in your own home need to be off mm. because that way you could basically see the sky and sh- and stuff and a uh, little bit of arizona trivia for people who don't know sedona is the only place in the world where the mcdonald's logo is not gold it is actually teal because they have strict laws regarding what colors your building can be painted so it doesn't clash with the uh, painted rock in the area. Yeah. And that was one of the colors that was approved in McDonald's. Is like, okay, fine, we'll do teal. That's interesting. <laughs> I, I actually live in Japan and you can drive through certain towns in Japan and the 7-Eleven signs are black. And I, when I first saw it, I was like, Christ, who's, who's taken over the 7-Eleven? <laughs> but it's for, it's, for, it's for the same, same reason that it's, yeah. about, it's, a, it's about light pollution or, or something, something akin to that. So someone yeah. at 7-Eleven yeah. is depressed. Yeah. <laughs> They've had a bad day. Yeah, no, it's, help. it's a dark sect of their business that they're causing a civil war. 7-Eleven after dark. <laughs> it's when we get the special merchandise out. But uh, so what brought you to live in Japan then? Because, I mean, if people can't tell from your accent, seems like you're from Britain and mm-hmm. London and whatnot. Mm-hmm. What what led you over to Japan? I was, I mean, I, uh, I went there in 2009 on a working holiday. I had a job lined up in TV in London in August. I went out in April thinking I'd just do three months in Japan because I was getting a bit sick and tired of living in London. Uh, and then uh-huh. I kind of stayed stayed from there and now it's i say i used to say it's 10 years but of course now it's 13 years so you know uh, wow yeah so um so would you ha- say you're pretty comfortable with the language now <laughs> um wouldn't say comfortable <laughs> <laughs> i would say my, my my language is is good enough to get by in the situations i need to uh, i mean okay. my, my wife Perfect. refuses to speak japanese to me even if i speak japanese uh, so okay. you know <laughs> <laughs> there but, seems to be this weird thing that like um foreign people uh spend decades in japan can't speak japanese <laughs> I don't know. I mean, well, it's, it's not not, not, an not easy speak, language. Yeah, to I know. Learn. But not speak Japanese, but like it's it's like. I mean, there, there yeah. are there are a number of reasons for that. Yeah, yeah. which which I could go into, but I'm not, I'm not sure I want to. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's I, I would say that J- Japan is not the most. I mean, I, I enjoy living there. Um, but I think one of the reasons I enjoyed living there because I, I do like I do appreciate the the role of an outsider and foreigners are very much outsiders uh, in Japan mm-hmm. perennially. Um, th- th- I, I will I will never be part of Japanese society regardless of my language skills, regardless of whether I have a family, regardless mm-hmm. of how long I stay there. It's just just the way the culture is constructed. And um, some people complain about that. I quite like it because, as I said, I, I enjoy an outsider status. But you know, there's um it's a it's an interest. People people call Japan Planet Japan, and it really is really is a different world (laughs) so when it comes to like distribution and stuff for your Mm. film have you been mainly working out of japan have you been working with like u.s like film production studios or whatnot how Mm. has that journey been for you? so i mean i I just live in japan i mean i I don't really that's that's i just just have a house uh, i have a bed there i have a wife that's it i mean i don't Ah. i don't don't work in the film industry in in japan and i okay i'm not particularly well i mean it'd be great if it got distributed in in japan but i mean i'm more interested in sort of foreign territories the uk europe uh the us in terms of distribution uh, i mean as i already said it's really at the beginning of its festival journey Uh so i haven't really done much in the way of distribution i mean distributors have started to contact me and i've had very early discussions but i haven't been proactive myself and that that's coming down the pipe i just need a just need a bit more it's a little early to start yeah but it is coming and i i'm i'm encouraged i I think that i think given that it's this the first documentary feature about an extraordinary place which so few people know about i I think Uh i think people will a wider audience will will hopefully find the documentary appealing and as a result i think distributors might might be interested so we'll see so now, this th- this yeah. cave was discovered in uh 06 05 so it was it was first the, the british cave was first went in in 2009 yeah um, accidentally well it well, no to, to give you the full story okay. so um hokan was a again this is in the film but hokan uh was a, a local farmer who w- yeah, went into the right, yes. went into the the jungle to feed his family was collecting woods you know illegally at the time because you know not, not allowed to farm in a national park uh, and there was a thunderstorm and he sought shelter underneath this rock and there was this big open well, not really big this sort of crack in the mountain shall we say and he thought nothing ah. of it and then in but there was a lot of steam coming out which mm-hmm. was curious so then in 2005 so 15 years later when the british cavers were there he said yeah i, I found this opening a long time ago 
you know, it had a lot of steam coming out, and they say, oh, that, that might be a big cave, maybe, we don't know. You know, a lot of a lot of leads go to zero, you know, go in, and they stop sort of 100 metres in. So the British cavers, Howard Limbert, asked him where it was, and he said, well, I have no idea. It was it was 15 years ago, it's in the jungle. I, I can't remember. I mean, the jungle's huge. Right. So then he spent the, he spent the next three years looking for it, and he found the entrance again in 2008, and the British Cobras went in in 2009. But I mean, they when they first went in, they had no idea what to expect. I mean, they just thought it was, they, they were hoping it would go because actually, again, this is not in the film, but uh, they, they had, the, the, they were investigating three leads that day. Uh-huh. And this was the, the first one they did. And if it, if it didn't go, then they'd have to climb up this sheer cliff in order to get to the next one, and it, which was a bit dicey. So there wasn't, they, they, they were, they no, were like, please, yeah. can please we just get this, this done one. in one try, please? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean, they went in and then they just kept on going and going and going. And they went back over the course of three days and eventually got to the end. And they, 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 they I mean, they, they, when they go in, they survey in and survey out as well. So they right. build a survey of the cave. So. Yeah, and this is like kind of touched on a little bit in the film in that uh, much of the world is explored. We know everything that's going on, um, like on every piece of land. And like some would say that uh, beneath the ocean is like the most unexplored part because we know more about space than we do, do know more about underwater. But there's also um, just... This thing existed for like millions of years, and it was in the 21st century that like we all found out about it. Um, so yeah, there are still like parts of the world that are still left to be uh, discovered. I mean, a curious thing about that is that I say Hokan was the first person to find the entrance. In actual fact, again, not covered in the film, right. it only got two hours or less. Right. In Doe Line One, there is actually remnants of a bomb. So what that means is, um, in the in the Vietnam War, most likely an aviator flew over, uh-huh. saw this huge entrance, uh, sorry, saw, saw this huge dough line, this huge sinkhole, thought that people were potentially hiding in there because that's what a lot of the Vietnamese did. They, they hid in caves during during the war and right. as a result dropped, dropped a bomb down it. So uh, that aviator is probably the first person to, to see Song Dong. I did spend a number of weeks trying to track down who this was, but <laughs> obviously it didn't, it didn't, didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, but uh, th- another thing is that th- there is potentially a second Song Dong in the region, which is yet wow. to be found, there's, oh, okay. there's, there's a it's how Howard is Howard Limbert, who was the uh, the British cave expedition leader, um, was told a number of years ago that there is another uh, another porter many years ago came across another entrance with a lot of steam coming out, just this, but even smaller than Song Dong as a whole, just this 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 shither in the in mm-hmm. the rock, oh, wow. and but he hasn't been able to find it again, and they've been flying drones trying to locate this thing, but potentially there is a, another larger cave in the area. Uh, so is Songdong itself like completely like mapped? Has someone gone from uh, the opening and like all other openings up to the end to where it like leads? Yeah, I mean the the, the original team surveyed in and surveyed out pretty thoroughly. There are there are minor leads in the cave, you know, sort of tiny offshoots that like a human body can't go through. Pretty pretty much. Yeah, I mean yeah. I mean largely speaking, I mean you would say that has been successfully surveyed in 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 totality. Okay, uh, but like. So there was, there's no suspicion that like this second uh, crack in the mountain is just another opening from the main Songdong. Well, we mountain. don't know. I mean, one one thing which was uh, uh, which they did recently, um, divers went went in. Um, actually, the same divers who were uh, part of the rescue in in Thailand. I mean, ca- caving is quite a quite a, a small community, so shall we and say? It's very dangerous. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. So yeah, these guys are the best of the best. Of the, so they actually dived uh, the um, the lake in Songdong in order to, to see whether the cave system linked to another cave system. I mean, cave, cave, cavers are always trying to find the, the biggest, the longest, the deepest or whatever. And, it, and if, if one cave passage links to another, then it automatically gets lengthened. I mean, right. it, it is kind of, it's, it's kind of c- c- comparing comparing apples and oranges, shall we say, or, or whatever. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't matter that much, shall we, to be honest, but you know, it's, bigger better larger or yeah. whatever in the in the end they actually they actually came to a stump and they couldn't go further so they they oh maybe they did i can't remember actually if they linked it or not i wasn't particularly interested to be honest <laughs> right. as you can see from my lack of knowledge because um, you're already done with your film and you want to get it edited and no this was this was 2000 this was 2019 i think okay so yeah it was okay. halfway through but yeah there is information on the on the net about that i, I don't want to uh to to misspeak shall we no. say no problem. Uh, so from what we've known at the end of the film, um, so far the Vietnamese government has uh, halted um, any uh, ideas of establishing a cable car up until uh, 2030. 
Um, is there uh, any updates on uh, the Save Dong Sundong movement, or um, if the government has made any changes, or any of like the townspeople um, have they like uh, any new ideas or like? Any any updates since the, where the film left off? No, I mean that, that's that's largely up to date in terms of where Song Dong is. I mean that okay. they announced that a cable car wasn't going to be built. They didn't say definitively never. They said yeah. until 2030, which which is a very political answer. Yeah, yeah, and it, it gives gives them the leverage to change their mind at any point. Um, but that hasn't changed in terms of the town. I mean, like like I said, it really has reset the place completely. I mean, 95% mm-hmm. of businesses are gone. Tourism has only just reopened. So it's kind of a rebirth, shall we say. So it really... Okay. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. I mean, it re- it's, it's gone back to sort of pre-2016 levels. So it'll be interesting to see how things are in five or ten years because we, we've sort of re- reset the process. Uh, do you plan on going back and seeing that process yourself, or is that just something you you plan on just like trying to hear about and just keep tabs on? I mean, I'd like to go back, but I'm not sure because because I don't really know how the film's going to be received. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm, Fair enough. Right now, I don't. We probably, don't know if don't, there are going to be some lists with new names on them in the future. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, sorry. I mean, for example, Bill Bill Hayton in the film, uh, who was interviewed, he is an author of Rising Dragon. Um, uh, a story of Vietnam, and and he he's a BBC journalist, and he was actually kicked out of Vietnam. Um, really, you know, oh. p- politely, politely, but for <laughs> for asking the wrong questions and entering on a tourist visa, or all of all of this stuff. I mean, he's a journalist; he's just trying right. to do his job. Um, but I am curious whether, well, we'll see, I, I, right now I probably don't feel particularly comfortable going back. You're, to Vietnam, you're tentative but, right yeah, now. Yeah, but until... we'll see see if that changes in the future. I mean, I would hope that the the local BBC and the Quambing crumbling officials would be sensible and they'd see this film as an opportunity because I mean the film is a lot of things right. but one thing it definitely is is a love letter to Fong Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean it really yeah. is I mean th- th- I fell in love with the place and I try to communicate that and every time I do a Q&A right. or I spend time talking with someone they always ask me how do I get a Song Dong? How can I get a Fong Yeah? And I spend up end up spending half the time playing travel advisor so <laughs> you know and if this film was to reach wider distribution I, th- I think really think it would it would help kickstart the tourism economy again. So I would, I would hope that they wouldn't shoot themselves in the head over it. But mm. they've, they've done that for far less. Yeah. So, so is this just a very elaborate commercial for Oxalis? One <laughs> job. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Serious question though. But did they, did Oxalis uh, itself notice that you were making a film and like always um, speaking to their porters and uh, doing all of this? Like, did they ask you to do anything like specific or? Um, I don't know, advertise for them or anything? No, Oxalis, uh, uh, and I, I, I'm going to distinguish between Oxalis, the company, and Oxalis, uh, sorry, I'm going to distinguish between the Oxalis, the company, and the owner of the company. Okay. Uh, those, for me, in my mind, are two very different things, and there's, there's, a, there's a little bit of political compl- complexity going on right now ah, okay. in, in terms of that. Uh, but Oxalis as a company uh, were, were, were fantastic, very supportive, uh, never asked me to do anything I didn't want to do, um, never asked me, I mean, they, they just supported me from from beginning to end. I mean, they did actually send uh, a cameraman into the cave on one of my trips to film me filming, and they were going to do, <laughs> do their own sort of making of thing, which uh, hasn't come out yet, and I'm not sure we'll see the light of day. Um, but yeah, I mean, Oxalis as a company uh, were ex- extremely helpful. That's that's cool. And you know what? I've been asked, and listeners, if you're getting annoyed by this, too bad. Um, <laughs> I've been asking every filmmaker we've interviewed at the festival so far, Let's say your film does exactly what you want. It's as successful as you've dreamed of. It it gets all the awards you want. It does everything you could possibly want. Mm. What does that look like? What would you hope to get out of that experience? Well, I, realistically, or, or in in a in a complete hypothetical? Because this there, let's do a, both. Yeah, okay. let's let's, let's say hypothetical like first, and then realistic. Well, I mean, hypothetical is is pretty much what every filmmaker wants. I, I'd like a. Uh, an international theatrical release. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that that's really it. I mean, awards are awards. I mean, they either come or they don't. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, if, if I was to choose one thing, it would be that. Um, I don't know whether that's possible. Um, it's a documentary after all. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's not a, shall we say, a feel-good documentary. I mean, <laughs> it is, it, it, you know, it, it deals with an extraordinary topic, or as I should say, an extraordinary place. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm just trying to feel out what's possible right now. Uh, and I get the sense that probably an international theatrical release is probably quite unlikely 
certainly in, in the new world today with COVID and, and all of that and how things have just changed so dramatically when it comes to, you know, theatrical releases. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's probably unrealistic, but doesn't mean I'm not, I'm not still fighting for it and I will fight until, you know, it's, it's not, not a possibility at all. I think much more realistically is, is a release on a, a streaming platform, you know, um, it, hopefully in a high profile sense, not just sort of tucked away, you know, in the back of everything without any promotion. So I think that's probably the realistic scenario. But I would certainly like to think that maybe in the UK, considering a lot of the cables are from the UK, there might be sort of a limited release there. But we'll we'll see. We'll see. So what is the future for you then Mm -hmm. as a filmmaker? Are you, is there another subject you're possibly wishing to pursue? Is there another project that you're kind of interested in joining in on like what's what's your future look oh, like? you're ditching filmmaking and you're just gonna go into youtube cooking co- tutorials <laughs> you've accepted a job with oxalis or I, 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 I definitely won't be working for oxalis that's for sure um, um but what, what's what's my future look like um i mean f- f- I, I do have other projects which i want to want to get off the ground mm-hmm. uh, but i'm not really focusing on them right now i mean because because this is largely you know a a one-man band at the moment. I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, the, uh, other people certainly contribute to the film, certainly my sound designer in particular. I mean, the, people don't often ask about the sound, but the sound really... We actually had a, a minor incident in the first screening where the sound cut out uh, uh-huh. for a brief moment. And everyone in the audience really appreciated the sound design because no one talks about sound unless, unless something goes wrong. Yeah. So uh, th- there are other people who worked on the film, but, but largely speaking, it is it is me. So th- this is, in my mind, an ultramarathon. I'm, I'm at stage three of a a long, long race. I, I right. shot the film, I edited the film, and now I'm promoting the film, and it, it takes up all my days. I was only just on time because I was, you know, w- with with other people chatting, you know, outputting new DCPs, you know, trying to do the promo, trying to update the <laughs> Facebook stuff, all of that. So, you know, it's 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 a job into itself, um, just the promotion. And it's I wouldn't say it's my favourite part, probably my least favourite part. I do enjoy <laughs> chatting about the film, but all, all the yeah, legwork yeah. which goes around it is... You're just like, can we get the rest of this automated, please? <laughs> yes. I just want to talk. I don't want to do all the Facebook yeah. updates. Yeah. You know you can hire people. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm, I'm aware. I'm aware. And I, I, do, I, do, I do have a separate business where I do, I do have a team. But, you know, at the end of the day, part of me, part of me thinks that it's, it's always worthwhile doing everything once just uh-huh. uh, just so you have an idea of how it's done and then in the future you know when someone's doing it wrong i mean uh, certainly on my next film I, I would be disappointed if it was just me working alone for five years <laughs> I, I think collaboration is is extremely valuable um mm-hmm. and I, I would very much like to like to collaborate more in the future yeah, yeah I, I gotta say is like you saying that this entire this uh movie was like a, a solo project um aside from like just dif- uh, different pieces of the movie um, is kind of like a testament to how hard you work and like it, it it's really like it, it gives off um, just the profession uh, professionalism and like production quality of like a full-fledged uh, documentary team because like we've spoken to uh, like a full documentary team that's like a dozen people um, we've spoken to a documentary team that's one person um, and uh, it, the, the the images that you've brought up in this movie, the uh, I, I it's it's weird to like think about. There's ri- uh, writing in a movie um, when you're like writing a story, but there's also writing in the documentary uh, as well that you had to do yourself. Um, uh, is just like is just like immaculate. Yeah. Yeah. So and I mean. When it always comes to documentaries, I mean, you're you're in the heat of it with real people doing real things. And how, how did it feel to be in these moments with these people? Like, and you've mentioned, like, there are some things that were said or shown that you have to admit for their own protection. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how does it feel to be trusted with so much and be part of their lives in such a capacity yeah i mean firstly it's an it's an immense privilege i mean it it really is i i I do feel tremendously grateful for having those moments of intimacy i mean my my preference as a as a viewer of documentaries I, i do love verite documentaries you know and i wasn't really given much of an opportunity to do that on this film which is why those scenes in the house for me are very important because you know Mm -hmm. they are happening in 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 real time i mean that i suppose for for me and other documentaries that is really the thrill and why we do it because you know there, there's a real immediacy to what's going on and you know it's 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 an adrenaline rush you know at the end at the end of the day in in a in a very mild sense i mean sure i mean if, if you're on a mountain or whatever then it's it's, it's very very real but mm-hmm. when you're sitting in the back back of someone's house and they're having this 
this, this biblical conversation about the future of the town, but you've got no idea what's going on and you really hope that it's <laughs> going to be something, but you're not really sure. I mean, that's, that's quite thrilling. So, I mean, I, I, I do... I do love the shooting shooting part and I do love the editing part as well because that's where for me the story is, is born as you say you talk about writing I mean it, the, the film is really written for me in the in the editing process and that's not just you know at the computer that's you know I'd, I'd work for a couple of hours and I'd go swimming and I would just the, I would construct the film in my head you know as right. I swam um, yeah so. because like you're describing the process of you going on a three day trip once a year uh, sounds like the most uh, convoluted way to like get specific shots or something <laughs> <laughs> it's just the, the, the most, like, uh, the hardest way to do something uh, like a lot of filmmakers would do simply because, like, uh, uh, filmmakers, you know, would just shoot. Uh, they have, like, they can have, like, a 14-day shooting day or whatever, but this is, like, uh, spread out so far that... I, is, was there, like, uh, how much planning uh, did you go into before you, like, went on the trip? Like, did you know you wanted to get, like, a specific shot because you wanted to get a specific scene for a part that you want to edit into an early part of the movie and like no good question i mean yeah i mean it, over the course of 5 years it became very very targeted so uh -huh. by, by trip 8 i knew exactly what i needed to do at every because i knew the cave so well i knew exactly uh -huh. what i needed to do at every step along the way i knew knew, knew when i needed to run ahead and knew when i needed to hold back and knew when i needed to be there it was very very tightly structured i mean if if i could do it again i would prefer not to spend five years <laughs> fair enough <laughs> but but it but it, it it probably couldn't have been any other way because because it evolved over time right, yeah. and it really was only by 2019 when when it became a full-length feature so i mean i i, I kept on going back because the film kept on getting bigger and really and 2020 when i was there in february 2020 i genuinely thought that was it you know, I, th I thought I had everything. I was going to go back to Japan, just just get my head around a few things, and then fly back to Vietnam in April 2020 just to p do some pickup shots and have it ready by September. But then, of course, I couldn't make that second trip because Oops. everything shut down. <laughs> and then the film changed again at that point. Uh -huh. So I then spent the best part of nine months trying to get back into a country which had closed its borders and eventually managed it at a huge degree, you know, a lot of, a lot of difficulty. Um, and yeah, and then in 2021, I shot the, the, the final, final, um, final shooting. Um, but yeah, it did become very, very targeted. Uh, so one thing that I was also curious about. Um, so the Save Sundong, uh, Sundong movement um, turned out to be a very like just uh, popular in foreign countries. Uh, not just in foreign countries. It was it's very popular in, in Vietnam. In Hung, back in 2017, we walked down the street in Ho Chi Minh and people would recognize her. Yeah, so. and like, uh, did you play a part in tr just trying to, uh, in like that getting inadvertently advertised that there was an act, uh, like an activist movement to save that cave? No, not at all. I mean, uh, I, I, or did I, it just kind of happen naturally? No, I mean, I, I, I've done very little. No, I've done zero promotion for Save Song Dong, and uh, and that's quite intentional because I mean, at the end of the day, I am a documentarian. I, I need to maintain a certain degree of objectivity. I mean, I'm personally, I'm a ardent supporter of what they do i'm a huge fan of hung i have a tremendous amount of respect for her i think she's a brave intelligent you know insightful mm -hmm. eloquent person and i again i spent a lot of time with her as well over many years but i only only came to the save song Dong movement in the narrative in, in august 2018 when i discovered the ted talk and i will say anyone who the ted talks featured very briefly in the film but do try and watch the entire 15 minutes because it's it's a it's an incredible ted talk it really is yeah, because I wondered where did all of those um, international pictures of them holding the signs? Like, there are a bunch of like university mm -hmm. students, there are people in like France and uh, just European countries holding themselves with a picture of the Save Sundong like. They, they were all sent to them via Facebook. They basically said uh -huh. in sort of 2004, uh, I can't remember the dates, but maybe between 2014 and 2016 or 15, they they just basically sent out a, a blast and said, "Please send us these." these images and then people around the world just started sending stuff through oh okay i i, I think it's crazy that a cave so beautiful so vast and like so important like it wasn't until your movie i heard about it and it's it's just crazy it's it because it's almost unheard of in today's world where everything is connected through some form of social media smart device or whatever that usually someone in rural Alabama does something funny. All of a sudden, the whole world knows it, and they're on, like, a talk show or something. But something like this really didn't get 
didn't get traction, at least where I was paying attention until mm-hmm. I saw your film. Not, not, not just you. I mean, I'm willing to bet that, that there is probably a, a, a minority of your listeners who have heard of it and, and a very, very small minority. When, when I do Q&As, I did a... We, at Sedona, we had 180... No, it wasn't 180. It was about 140, 150 people. And I, I asked how many people have heard of Song Dong and two people put up their hands. So, And that, that's not, that's not un- uncommon. I mean, the, the images have gone around the world. You know, Nat Geo's done a... A piece about it back in 2011. Ryan's drone drone footage in 2014 is was released and went viral on Vimeo and got 1.4 million views or whatever. But you know, still largely speaking, the world don't know doesn't know about this place. And I, there was actually a 50 50 minute section of the film which I completely cut, which addresses this point because it's it's what I find incredible is that when the cave was first discovered, um, and I, I pulled the the newspaper clippings, um, the UK. The UK was the, probably the only territory in the world which featured, featured the discovery. And uh, th- it was in two national, pap- national papers. The London Times had a 43-word uh, ident on page 27 uh-huh. buried between two adverts. <laughs> Jesus. And the Mirror had this, this picture of, of the cave on page 12 or whatever with as few words as that. So it got absolutely zero publicity whatsoever. No one picked it up. Um, and I just find it so funny because hypothetically, if a new highest mountain in the world was discovered, you know, not going to happen, but hypothetically, uh-huh. it would yeah. be on the front page of every single newspaper. But caving, nah, it just, just for whatever reason gets a bad rep. And I, I think it's, there's obviously a, a psychology involved between, you know, sort of a, a mountaineer standing heroically on this big peat with this, this, this white expanse around him. And then you've got a dirty caver scrabbling around in the mud, you know, yeah. I, I don't think there is a... There, there, there is a perception about caving which is which is quite negative, and it's only really when there's a rescue where it gets publicised. And again, it, the film addresses that. Yeah, that part in the film was very interesting because uh, I was watching it, and uh, it and you showed the part where like people associate caves with tight places, places you don't want to be, and it shows the guy spelunking and going. And I was like, Nah, nah, I'm not about that. <laughs> like, but it's. It, it's Sung Dong is because you were saying earlier it's it really shouldn't be called a cave because like it's so much more than that. There's so much light inside. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it, it is a cave, but I I, I like me- by the strictest definition. I, me- I make yeah, cave. but I make that point because as soon as people hear cave, they roll their eyes. Yeah, yeah. and it's just it's it's nuts how I, I think you're right. I think a big part of why it didn't get the publicity is just the psychology of okay, it's another dark hole in the ground. Mm. Will be, but like, if you don't have anything to show people that, like, it, it's almost like people are very visual and need proof of something. Because I mean, there's a lot of a lot of people like to lie, blah blah blah. But it's like, I think Song Don is interesting that as soon as you show anyone any part of it, that it, it clicks for them. Well, not everyone, because some people think it's fake. <laughs> Really? Yeah. I mean, I had to be quite careful. Like, the, the, the VFX artist can is credited in as VFX sequences because I had to be very, very clear about about that. You know, this was not constructed, and it was really only at the you, you, you've seen that the the uh, the hyperlapse sequence at the end, the yeah, yeah. sequence, and yeah, there are elements of VFX in there, and I felt really at the end of the film, I could probably just about get away with going through going through the river, going through a crack. And that's obviously constructed it. In, yeah, in, yeah. In, 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 but I felt as though I could do that at minute sort of 106 and get away with it because by that point, either people have bought it or they haven't, but right. basically. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, uh, th- there are people who think it's, it's all photoshopped. And it, trust me, it really isn't. I've been there. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like the joke I said earlier, when you can pause on any scene showing the cave and you now have a new desktop screensaver, it, it shows how photogenic it is and how... And its scale is massive because, like, there was that one shot where you're showing the Oxalis, like, camp and everyone's, like, eating food and stuff mm-hmm. where you're like, okay, that's that's probably a decent size error. And then once it actually starts descri- describing, like, the scale that error, it's like, oh, the light is tricking me. That is way bigger than I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> you, you need... It's, I realized very early on that perspective was very important. And if you just showed the cave without any people in it or tents, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be able to understand the scale. It's only when you see sort of a man standing on top of a man who goes, oh, wow, yeah, he's he's quite small. You know? yeah. So it, the perspective was very important. I've actually, the, the cut which you've seen, I've actually changed the color of some of the, some of the, 
those people's shirts. So they, uh, previously they were green and it, it was just I, on the big screen, it was getting lost a little bit because everything around them was green. So I've changed them to, to orange and it just pops oh, a okay. little, little yeah. bit more because uh -huh. there were a few people who didn't didn't quite get how big this was because they couldn't see the reference point because the green was yeah. blended in. So, you know, that, that got changed recently. Interesting. No. So how, so was that by recently, like during the Phoenix Festival, like just before it showed, like when... Because, I mean, there are filmmakers that tend to make, like, aftermarket changes and stuff. Like, you know what? This should be better. Let's put out... We make a joke, a patch mm -hmm. for the movie mm -hmm. and have everyone download and stuff like that. How, how, how do you keep yourself from getting super perfectionist about it and keep making changes as you well, go? Well, I mean, I, I, was, I was super perfectionist for many years, so there's not really much to change. I mean, like <laughs> I said, I, 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 well, there, is, I, there, are, there have been some changes, and I'll talk about them in a second. But, I mean, one of the one of the great things about being uncompromising and being your own producer and all of that is that I can work for a week on the color of someone's cheek, mm -hmm. you know, and it's a documentary. No one cares about the color of someone's cheek, but I can do that because, uh -huh. you know, it's my time. Um, I think if I had a producer, he'd probably slap me around the face. Well, actually, he probably wouldn't slap me around the face. <laughs> he would he'd probably politely say that's, that's a bit too much. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was very perfectionist for a long time. So I, I only released the film when I felt comfortable enough to release it but that said one of the downsides to working in isolation is that i didn't get any feedback from anyone whatsoever mm -hmm. so as soon as i saw it with an audience a few other few things came to mind it was it wasn't many i, I realized that firstly the film had three endings um three uh, in lord of the Rings style yeah. Yeah. It, would, it would it would fade down and everyone would stand up um so i changed that for this cut but even now it still feels as though it has potentially three endings so i'm half thinking about <laughs> cutting, cutting one of the end bits but that that's that that has its other problems. So I know. I respectfully say this. I laugh so hard because that's literally what I said after I finished it. I'm like, that was like Lord of the Rings. There yeah. was like three points where I'm like, oh man, that's a great. Oh, we're still going. Okay, yeah. cool. That, that's okay. what I was. Yeah. That's why I brought up like the three separate parts, and I was yeah. like, okay. But it is, uh, it is something I'm thinking about right now. <laughs> it's something I'm thinking about. Mm. Yeah, Alistair's like. Thank you. You've now made it worse. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I mean, I, I, it's, I. I love people stroking my ego and saying the film's great, but yeah. that doesn't really help me. I mean, I love criticism. I mean, as, yeah. you know, as long as it's warranted and it's not, you know, it's not malicious or whatever. I mean, constructive criticism is, right. is my bread. You know, yeah. I just feed on it. So, you know. Okay, cool. Let me flip to my next page. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, like, uh, like, even when it was like that, it was like, it was nice because I was interested, like, even in, in part, uh, basically the first, like, part of it. And then when you started getting into like how it was affecting that the, the local people and everything like that, like I was even more interested in stuff mm -hmm. like that. I think I think something that helps is that you get up, get up, get up. You think it's over and you're like, OK, that was good. And then it starts up and you're like, still. But then it brings you back in. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then you get reinterested and you're like, OK, OK. And, it's, and you're like, OK. Oh, it's still going. Okay, I need to sit up again. Well, I'm, I'm trying to work out if that if that's a if that's a good thing or, or leaving I, leave, or leaving people with you know less is more is better. I, you know? I I think what it says is that it it goes to your uh, credit as a filmmaker that even when they thought it ended, you can still bring them back because mm. there are plenty of the people that when they think something's over, they're mm -hmm. out. Oh, there's more. It, I don't care anymore. Mm. It's I I've already watched what I wanted mm. to watch. But right. The fact that you can bring anyone back into mm. the story to keep watching after they think it's over, that's a big credit as well. Yeah. I mean, length is length is always a challenge, particularly in right. today's world, you know. And it's uh, the, the, the original cut of the film was 115 minutes. Uh, and oh, wow. you, you guys watched 109 minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, it was pared down after, after Sedona a little bit. It was just a little bit loose and a little bit baggy in the COVID section. So mm -hmm. I, I, I removed some of that. Um, I'm thinking about removing another another five minutes, and I know if I was to do that, I know where I would do it. Um, but it's 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 difficult because documentaries. If you look at most documentaries, their running times generally are between eighty and ninety minutes, yeah. maybe a hundred hundred tops. No one has really said to me that, that they feel they feel the film. Actually, that's not not nobody, but al <laughs> almost everybody has said, yeah, the film doesn't feel as though it drags. That, that it, feel, yeah, it feels right. as though it, it doesn't it doesn't feel boring or slow. And you know, I, I, I'm pleased about that because I spent a very very long time trying to 
trying to structure it in a way which is almost structured like a narrative film. You know, if it, it, it very much is a three-act structure, you know, and there is rising action and falling action, and there is a midpoint, and there is right. a definitive end to act two, and a definitive end to act, act one, and a definitive end to act two. I mean, it is structured in a very traditional narrative sense, and I did that because at the end of the day, this is a film about caving in Vietnamese politics, yeah. which, which isn't particularly interesting on the surface. So, I, and I realized that in order to, I, I'm dumbing the film down a little bit, you know, it's more than that. <laughs> but, but when you, when you. My when film was so boring. I swear. How do people watch it? <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, for me, there are there are really two types of filmmakers. Ultimately, if you want to really break it down, you know, there are filmmakers who respect the audience and filmmakers who challenge the audience. Right. Yes. And I, as uh-huh. a as a viewer, I generally gravitate to films which challenge. But as a filmmaker, I don't know. Maybe it's my insecurity. Uh, I'm wanting to be liked or whatever. But I I feel the need to re- to respect the audience. You know, and uh-huh. and that was that was really in the front of my mind for many years. Well, I think it's important to challenge the audience, too, because, like, especially it can be entirely dependent on what country and culture you come from, too, where, like, one side, uh, let's let's take your film in particular, one side of the argument can feel like a home run. Why is anyone arguing this? This is stupid. Why wouldn't you do that? But the another person could be like, no, that's the wrong. And, and like, to present different ideas in a sensible and logical way to where it's like listen they're not just people yelling off rooftops that they want their way they do have a sense of logic to why they believe what they believe Mm. and i think it's important to expose audiences to that because not only do you expose them to new ways of thinking but you you make them challenge their own predispositions Mm. to things and i i feel like nowadays people aren't willing to challenge their own ideals which would causes a lot of the turmoil in not even just politics but social media and stuff Mm -hmm. like that people feel that their ideas are so stone that they refuse to compromise on them even if compromising on them could mean you grow Mm -hmm. so i i mean i i think challenging is the best way to do filmmaking in my opinion Mm -hmm. at least Mm -hmm. Uh, i find that especially important for documentaries yeah um, I mean, I, th- I think f- for me, I-, I come back to the acts of journalism. And again, it wasn't the film wasn't intended as that, but that's what it became. And mm-hmm. really, when it comes to the journalistic intent, th- th- you have to be objective. And it's, it's just about presenting the facts, shall we say. And I, I obviously have my opinion. I-, I think my opinion seeps through the film to some degree. I mean, it's inevitable. It's g- it- regardless of the balance, you know, yeah. it's, it's, g- it's going to come through. But at the end of the day, when you're addressing, you know, sensitive subjects like land rights, um, even the Vietnam War is still quite a sensitive topic. Yeah. You know, the, the the idea really was just to just to say it how it is. I mean, th- there isn't a lot of editorializing going on in the film. I mean, you know, I mean, no one says that the the way that the, the, the people who are who are evicted from their homes because that the roads want to be built is bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's it's implied, and it, I would say it probably is quite bad. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the film is really trying its best just to present just the reality of things, and then just see. Leave it up to the audience to decide. Now, I, I am quite gratified at the end of Q and A's when people ask me, "So, what's your opinion?" And I'm like, "Oh, good." So, it, it's not obvious in the film, it, and because I, I feel as though it is quite obvious, but yeah, that's that's because my, it's my brain and all of uh-huh, that. But it right. is gratifying to know that people actually genuinely want to know what my opinion is, and maybe it's not entirely clear. So, what is your opinion? <laughs> oh, my my opinion is in terms of the, the the developments and the cable car and all of that, and whether it will happen. I mean, I'm cautiously optimistic. I mean, I, I think that the uh, the 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 Quanbin PVC certainly up until t- 2020 have been learning from past mistakes. I mean, mm-hmm. for example, there is a shot in the film where there's a there's a digger uh, next to the Fongya sign, and that was actually meant to be a gas station. So the first thing you see when you drive into this beautiful paradise was this awful eyesore, mm-hmm. uh, and then in their wisdom they decided that might not be the best thing. So you know th- th- there was a decision made there, which in my mind was a positive decision. And there's there's other other areas in Vietnam, there was a, there's a town called Sapa, which 20 years ago was this beautiful hilltop paradise, and then they overdeveloped it and destroyed it, essentially. I've been there. I mean, it's, destroyed is probably a bit of a harsh term, but it's, it's a mess. You know, uh-huh. it's, it's not a desirable place, you know, as it was once was 20 years ago. So, and the, I know the Quan Binh PPC have been there, and they've, they've learned from that. So I, I'm cautiously optimistic, but then again, when you have Black Swan events, and the knife gets tightened, really, and priorities change, and then greed sort of insidiously seeps through because it, it always will it always find a way unless you're fastidious and diligent and and conscientious about you know protecting it and and, and mm-hmm. putting up putting up the wall um yeah so we'll see it's it, the decisions they're making right now 
right this moment in time dictate what will happen in the future. So this is very much a fluid and ongoing story. Yeah. Do, do you guys have anything else you wanted to ask or add? No, I think that's it. Yeah. yeah well, I'm very satisfied. You know, it's been great talking to you. It's been an honor to watch your film and <laughs> kind of talk about this with you. But uh, did you have anything else you wanted to plug? or? Uh... No, I mean, I just, I, anyone who's listening, I, I would say that, you know, Fong Yara is a beautiful place. Quambing is a beautiful place. Vietnam is a beautiful place. You know, and it's, it, you know, d- despite despite some of the issues which are raised in the film at the end of the day it is a love love story a love song to the place and you know the people are tremendously friendly and warm and i just Mm. really encourage everyone to go there because at the end of the day songdong is just really the poster child for the the area there is so much more to do i mean it is the adventure capital of asia you know fongya has other cave systems it has hiking and mountaineering well not really mountaineering but you know biking and all of this i mean it's a very desirable place so anyone who's looking for a great great holiday fongya is a it should, should be at the yeah. top of the list. And if you want travel advice, make sure to reach out to Alistair. <laughs> but, uh, you yes. know, Oxalis um, should be giving me a commission. They won't, but they should be. <laughs> actually, uh, that actually made me realize I had one last question. Uh, in, in, the, in the event that maybe uh, some of our viewers aren't able to see it at like a film festival or anything like that, do you have any other way for them maybe to actually see the movie? Yeah, I mean, anyone who's in the U.S. right now, um, can uh, until the 17th of April so today is the 2nd okay. but until the 17th of April they can stream it online at Cinequest um, which is an online film festival you go to cinequest.com okay. or wherever um, that, that's sort of the, the primary place to watch it until the 17th of April I'm sure there'll be other online opportunities because festivals keep okay. on going online it's all on the website if you go to big, bigcave.film there's a screening link there so oh that's big, fantastic bigcave.film okay excellent well you know, with that, I would like to thank everyone who tuned in. Uh, as usual, you can find us on Twitter at Bun Cinema. Uh, if you wish to help support us financially, you can find us at patreon.com slash cinemabuns. With that, I'm Ritter. I'm Mike. And I'm Kevin. And thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Watch with us for Cinema Buns.